Because of the obvious threat to untold numbers of citizens, and because of the crisis which is even now developing, this radio station will remain on the air, day and night. This station and hundreds of other radio and TV stations throughout this part of the country are pooling their resources through an emergency network hookup to keep you informed of all developments. At this hour, we repeat, these are the facts as we know them. There is an epidemic of mass murder being committed by a virtual army of unidentified assassins. Hey, cassettes, and welcome back to the Black Case Diaries. <laughs> We're three old zombies <laughs> oh. learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Robin. I'm Marcy. And I'm Adam. Hey. <laughs> well, friends, it's February. <laughs> Which means it's cold and dark, but the good news is that it's the perfect time to huddle close and tell some scary stories. <sighs> Debatable. <laughs> uh, once again, we're dedicating the entire month of February to the most terrifying genre of all, rom-com horror. <laughs> horror. <laughs> I mean, stay on track, guys. Here's the thing. Some would say. <laughs> It was the late 1960s in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, when Fred Rogers went to the hospital for a tonsillectomy. Stay with me. <laughs> mm -hmm. As the host of a children's TV program, Mr. Rogers realized that showing the children at home his experience might help them face their own fears of doctors, hospitals, and surgery. So he brought with him a young filmmaker named George Romero. Romero had been shooting one of his independent projects in the Pittsburgh area a grainy black-and-white feature about ghouls that ate human flesh. But his work with Mr. Rogers was one of his first paying jobs as a director. He grabbed the little equipment he had, including pin lights from the hardware store, and filmed the beloved TV host as he went in for surgery. He later said it was the most terrifying film he ever directed. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I would not disagree. Yeah. I mean, that seems like it would be kind of terrifying. <laughs> he, this is kind of one of his first paying jobs ever out of college. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of equipment and he's in a working hospital. And he was just, he said it was the, the most terrifying movie he ever made because he was so scared while he was making it. He was just so yeah. nervous. <laughs> this was just the beginning. George Romero's talent and ingenuity took him far, as his films broke new ground and redefined horror. He's often credited as the person responsible for an entire subgenre of film, zombies. He was a creative force, passionate about independent filmmaking, and responsible for inspiring and thrilling countless people across the globe. So grab some popcorn and turn off the lights. It's time to get scary with George Romero. Whoa. Um, <laughs> or leave the lights on. I wonder if this experience had the most influence on him, like in wanting to do horror. Like I saw the horrific inside of a hospital <laughs> going into surgery. I'm going to show people more horrific stuff. I think that George Romero just kind of couldn't help it. I think he just made scary shit. I think yeah, it was right. just. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, even showing something like, you know, hey, kids, it's okay to get a tonsillectomy. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think he just, everything he made was so raw and, yeah. <laughs> and honest. Right. That, like, it, 
that level of honesty feels scary yeah. like when you're watching mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. just just the nurse ab- above they yes. the way that he shoots the nurse cuz they put you as if you're the one laying down and you're looking up at this nurse <laughs> and it's kind of inducing of like oh my god i recently up, yeah, yeah i like, recently had surgery and i this was in 1968 mm-hmm. and my surgery obviously over 50 years later <laughs> and so much of it was the same and i yeah. it was and i really it really reminded me of what i just went through it was i was like dude this is wow. this is wild <laughs> so are you guys excited yes oh, super uh, heck yeah, yeah. George Romero was born in the bronx new york on february 4th 1940 to his parents ann and george his mother was lithuanian and his father described himself as castilian having moved from Spain to Cuba as a child. Growing up in the 1940s and 50s, George experienced the fears of World War II, like citywide blackouts in the case of an air raid and the subsequent terror of a nuclear attack. He was drawn to horror because it scared him in an entertaining way. Being afraid of monsters from another world was an escape compared to the very real and present fears of everyday life. That's so interesting to put it that way, because you'd think just being scared of anything is, you know, just being scared, right? But when they're real versus fantasy, I guess there's a difference there, but yeah, I don't know. As as somebody who's not into horror, it's hard for me to imagine. I think it's the idea that you get to feel the adrenaline rush or Mm -hmm. just you know get to feel those feelings Mm -hmm. without a real danger behind it Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's like you know you're afraid (laughs) and you don't want to be right you Mm -hmm. don't want to be afraid that every single day an atomic bomb might just fall and kill everybody like you don't want to be afraid of that kind of thing it's draining it's exhausting right you know but you get to have those kinds of emotions it's almost like permission to feel that way right, right. Yeah. without the actual danger. Because some people do yeah. like the rush of being afraid mm-hmm. or I think they just, I don't know, I, I think they like the the commentary of it or, or being able to see the world from a different perspective, changing these very real monsters into things that are easier to understand, you know? Mm-hmm. The, there are these really intense concepts that might be hard to grapple with or mm-hmm. hard for you to deal with. And then seeing it as a flesh-eating monster on the screen, <laughs> that's something that your brain is like, oh, I get that. Right. <laughs> I understand what's going on right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it simplifies things. And I, so I'm, I'm guessing that's probably... That, yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. When George was 11 years old, he saw the first film that ever scared him, 1951's The Thing from Another World. It was his favorite horror film. However, his all-time favorite movie wasn't a horror film at all. It was The Tales of Hoffman, an opera film that was also released in 1951. All right. Yeah. yeah. Surprising. Kind of a shock, right? Yeah. Hoffman introduced George to the possibility of filmmaking as a career. He could see that it had been made on a budget, which showed him that even if he didn't live in Hollywood or have a huge budget, he could make films too. The film also introduced Romero to classical music, another one of his lifelong interests. Yeah. 
And also, you know, going back to the air raids and going through that as a child, yeah. you know, oh, God. yeah, <laughs> we talked about this before and we're going to mention it a little bit later, too, is that, you know, it, it, we you should listen to our History of Horror episode if you Absolutely. haven't. Absolutely. Yeah. Just because not not just because I want to plug ourselves in our own episode, <laughs> but also because it gives you a little bit more context about this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The History of Horror film is the history of the world. You know, horror, yeah. It really is. Yeah. Horror is a reactionary genre, and it helps people kind of come to terms with things that have already happened Mm -hmm. and help them express their feelings about the fears of things that might happen. And so, you know, these kinds of, like, you could see how growing up when he did, how that really affected the movies that he made later on. By the time he was 14, George Romero was already starting his filmmaking career. Armed with his first camera, an 8mm, some accounts say that it was a gift from his parents, while George himself said it was his uncle's camera, he began making his first independent short called The Man from the Meteor. Oh. Yeah. Some sci-fi. See? Nice. During the shoot, George threw a flaming dummy from the roof of his building, and of course, someone called the police. (laughs) Here's what he told NPR about it years later. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) The man from the meteor was ultimately shot with his own ray gun and fell flaming off the roof where I lived in Parkchester. And I set fire to a little dummy and I dropped it off the roof, having failed to contact the police and let them know I was going to do this. And so, yeah, I was hauled away by the police and my parents were called. It wasn't a serious arrest. I didn't have to spend the night in jail or anything. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, whatever. Yeah, you know, still a cool story. <laughs> like, yeah, my first film that I was making. I got arrested 14. for my art. Heck yeah. <laughs> my art's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> After the flaming dummy incident, George's parents sent him to Suffield Academy a college prep school in Connecticut, to finish his education. <laughs> it doesn't, we can't prove that those things yeah. are, like, correlate. It just sounds like they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just sounds like you were really bad, we're sending you yeah. off to it school. It sounds like, you know what, you need to be challenged. <laughs> <laughs> After graduating high school, he studied art, design, and drama at the Carnegie Institute of Technology, now known as Carnegie Mellon University. He worked for the Pittsburgh Motion Picture Laboratory, delivering reels to news stations via bicycle. He was sometimes paid in lunch money, but it was generally unpaid work. While living in Pittsburgh and going to school, he produced several independent short films. He graduated from Carnegie Mellon University in 1960, teamed up with John Russo and Russ Streiner and others to form The Latent Image a company that produced industrial films and commercials. Oh, I like prestigious the sounding. latent image. Yeah. Using a $20,000 loan from his uncle to get started, the latent image survived by making promotions for companies like Iron City Beer and Heinz Ketchup. Cool. Yeah. These, uh, these commercials, you can find them online. Mm-hmm. We, sh- we should link to them. Yeah. They're they're pretty wild. You can see how this man became a horror director. Yeah. Watching watch some of these commercials. George Romero was later quoted saying, Fresh out of college, all we had was a Bolex and a couple of pin lights. The kind with aluminum shades that could be bought at any local hardware store. Actually, that's not true. That's not all we had. We also had balls. Balls enough to advertise ourselves as 
producers of industrial films and television commercials. I mean, you gotta have it. You need the confidence. When I first read that, I read it as like a technical list. I was like, all I had was a Bolex and lights and balls. Oh, oh, oh okay. I see. Yeah, <laughs> I get where you're going now. All right. What, like styrofoam balls? Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was like, balls of what? Why would you use that? Like, what is that to the benefit of? Balls of steel. <laughs> By the late 1960s, Romero set his sights on full-length features. Before releasing his first feature film, he worked on a since-destroyed project called Expostulations, a silent anthology film. The film was once complete, fully shot and edited, and featured five segments written by Romero, Rudy Ritchie, and Richard Ritchie. I am really sad That's... that this doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I it sounds amazing. I don't know. I couldn't find what happened to it. Mm-hmm. Why it got destroyed yeah. or just if if it got lost or mm-hmm. yeah, like if somebody just lost it yeah. and they just didn't bother. <laughs> I just picture somebody but somebody being so upset with it they just like freaking destroyed it with scissors or yeah. something like. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Or yeah. What, what if somebody just has it? Yeah, uh, I somewhere. yeah, it was destroyed. I really, yeah. really hope someone has it. <laughs> yeah. And I hope that they release it. One day. Yeah, yeah. yeah because it sounds amazing. Uh. I want to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> One segment was called A Door Against the Rain and followed a boy whose grandfather built him a freestanding door. The boy then walks through it to go on adventures. While the project tried to secure a musical score, the audio recording company went bankrupt. Recently, portions of the film have resurfaced, but most of it has been lost. George Romero considered this project to be the real beginning of his film career, as they built elaborate sets and worked with paid actors for the first time. Oh, man. Oh, why did it have to be destroyed? No, this was a legitimate oh. finished, like, this, it was like oh. a legitimate two-hour movie. Like, it was finished, cut, it was done. Damn. I'm sure it was beautiful. Yeah. One segment of it, I guess, has resurfaced or a piece mm-hmm. of it resurfaced at some point. I could not find it mm-hmm. online anywhere. And also the archives have just this little pamphlet advertising oh. it. And that's it. That's all they've got. Like we said earlier, one of Romero's first paid jobs as a director was with the classic TV series Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Fred Rogers was one of the first people to hire George, and he was incredibly supportive of his work. If you aren't a horror fan, you still have likely seen Romero's work during Mr. Rogers' picture-picture segments. These were shorts that taught kids how things were made, like light bulbs and umbrellas. I saw this and freaked out (laughs) because this was my favorite part of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I liked watching him come in and sing at the beginning. I liked the trolley Mm -hmm. and then this. Like this... (laughs) This was my favorite, and I'm like, my favorite part of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was directed by George Romero. Of course. The Carnegie Mellon University Library quoted George about the experience, saying, He was the first guy who would hire me. Everyone from Pittsburgh, who I know from that period, who was still working in the business in any capacity, started with Fred. Fred was so supportive of people. He was a beautiful guy. Fred Rogers reportedly saw all of Romero's work in support of his former employee. Nice. So you imagine Mr. Rogers (laughs) slipping on his red cardigan. Yep. 
heading out the door, saying hi to Mr. Feely, trotting down to the movie house, and watching Dawn of the Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what he did. Oh, man. (laughs) Hello, kids. Today we're learning about... The ever-present concept of death. (laughs) (laughs) Today's word is consumerism. (laughs) Over the course of his life, George Romero married three times. George married Nancy Romero in 1971. They remained married until 1978. Christine Forrest was Romero's second wife and starred in some of his projects. Longtime collaborator Stephen King was even inspired to name one of his novels after Christine. They were married from 1980 to 2010. Suzanne Desrocher and George Romero married in 2011 and were together at the time of his death in 2017. She started the George Romero Foundation in his honor. Very nice. So before we get into Romero's most influential works, let's talk about the zombie in the room. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't really talked about zombies Uh, yet. Oh, yeah. Not really. So (laughs) today, Romero's name is synonymous with zombies, but the concept of The Walking Dead existed before he started filmmaking. As strange as it sounds, George Romero did not set out to redefine zombies. He took pieces of existing lore about flesh-eating creatures and built a new kind of monster with very clear features and rules. Isn't it fun mm-hmm. how it was an accident? Yeah. yeah. So he, funny. he didn't even consider. Uh, all right. Yeah. yeah. Call him what you want, yeah. I guess. Yeah. We'll go with it. <laughs> yeah. You like it? All right. Sure. Let's do it. Sure. I, I was almost waiting for them to say zombie yeah. in mm-hmm. the movie. Which we'll talk about later, but yeah, the Romero zombie is a reanimated human that craves flesh. They are slow moving, and anyone can become one. They can use tools, but are able to be destroyed by one shot or blow to the head. This clear-cut definition is what audiences grab onto while watching the films. When we see a zombie movie, we can yell out, "Shoot it in the head!" before the characters even understand that it's the only way to kill them. Romero created a list of tropes that make audience members feel more comfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now it's almost like zombie movies are a little bit of a comfort to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. when you see them, you know exactly what to expect. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's a comfort in knowing how to kill the monster. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The- At least there's a way to do it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it happens a lot in, in video games as well, where it, it they fit in that same mold mm-hmm. and the way to shake things up is to create something that is beyond a zombie at that point you know mm-hmm. it's like oh a mutant zombie oh or a mm. super special you know super right. powered yeah. zombie like whatever it is it has to be different mm-hmm. because if it doesn't fit in these rules that were laid out <laughs> then it's not really a zombie yeah exactly mm-hmm. at this point it yeah. doesn't fall under the zombie umbrella and yeah. unless yeah. it has these mm-hmm. Romero's zombies were nothing like the zombies of Haitian lore, another famous type of flesh eater. This was because Romero didn't really consider his creations to be zombies at all. In his first Living Dead film, they were only referred to as ghouls. He and co-writer John Russo needed a chaotic attack that kept the characters confined to a small space throughout the film. Inspired by the vampire creatures of the novel I Am Legend, Romero used the concept of bodies that were once human attacking the living. 
he only started calling his creations zombies because other people did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I, as I understand it, Haitian lore, zombies are very different in the sense that, you know, they, I think they can be controlled by yes, a source. By a, yeah. Yes, by a person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this voodoo spiritual connection. So, yeah, very it's different. totally different. <laughs> So what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about some of his most influential movies. We're <laughs> not going to be able to talk about every single one. There are some that are really, really good uh, that maybe we'll do episodes on later. George Romero made many feature films in his lifetime, not to mention the TV series he produced as well. His work evolved over the decades, and he showed audiences again and again that there were no bounds to his technical skill and ingenuity. The first one we'll talk about is Night of the Living Dead, a little known feature that... Yeah, what, what's that one? Yeah, what? 1968. <laughs> While balancing paid jobs, George Romero spent weekends filming his first major feature film. George teamed up with John Russo to write the script and started shooting on 35mm black and white film about 30 miles north of Pittsburgh. The film had about $114,000 to work with, the definition of a shoestring budget. That's crazy mm. to yeah. think about that yeah. versus movies now yeah mm-hmm. unbelievable insane dude this is this will this will get you an apartment in new york for, <laughs> for a couple months <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly the story follows a small group of people hiding in a farmhouse and defending themselves against a horde of flesh-eating ghouls romero loved the story in i am legend but he wanted to see that kind of story from a new perspective that's why Night of the Living Dead takes place at the very beginning of a zombie apocalypse, as society has not fallen to ruin just yet. Mm. And kind of the perspectives of yeah. hearing them talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. And, and, you know, when the I Am Legend movie came out, not too long ago now, then it felt kind of fresh mm-hmm. to people because they had been experiencing the start of the zombie apocalypse, right? Yep. Yeah. And then I Am Legend kind of went backwards, like, oh, no, it's already happened. Here's yep. here's the rest. But flip that back to this time, mm-hmm. and what's fresh is the start. Yeah. Night of the Living Dead was groundbreaking for many reasons. It's one of the most well-known and influential independent films ever made. Not only that... George Romero chose to cast Dwayne Jones as one of the first black leads in a horror film. The film was released in 1968, a turbulent time in America. As youth counterculture was on the rise, Romero's zombies illustrated the concept of old ideals being gobbled up by a new generation. Racial tensions continued to rise, and the political climate seemed to heavily influence a film where a black man survives a monstrous horde of mindless flesh eaters only to be killed by other humans. Oof. <sighs> Ariel um, saw some of this with me, mm-hmm. and she called it, yeah, like early, yeah, because I didn't, I had never seen this, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that they all died. Spoilers, again. yeah, gotcha, yeah. Um, so I, you know, I just didn't know, yeah. And she was like, because they showed the scene of you know, on TV, like, mm-hmm. oh, here's the, the marshal and all of his guys mm-hmm. running yep. taking care of it, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, he's going to be shot by them, I bet. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> well, well, damn. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And and that's the thing. Uh, we hear that synopsis mm-hmm. and we go, 
of course. Yeah. Yep. Of yeah. course that's what this movie's about. Yep. <laughs> and people in 1968 saw that and were like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't expect that from this monster movie. I, yeah, yeah. <sighs> to George, this connection was coincidental, as the character was reportedly written as white in the script. But he thought Dwayne Jones was the best actor for the role. Audiences immediately made the connection to racism, which is partly why the film is remembered as a cultural landmark of the 1960s. George Romero explained. There was all that anger and, you know, race riots coming up. When we were driving it to New York to show it to potential distributors, that night in the car, we heard that Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it really paints a picture of what life was like. Mm -hmm. And so he was aware, I, I think, <laughs> at that yeah. point oh, sure. yeah. of how people would perceive the movie. Mm hmm but it was not an intentional thing from the beginning. I mm -hmm. think he just wanted mm -hmm. to be honest about that. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't going to claim an idea that he didn't. Yeah. And the thing is, what's nice about a movie like this is that you can get a message like that, mm -hmm. but his original message isn't like lost. No, mm -hmm. nope. exactly. Right? It's still yeah. there. It's, yep. it, it, can, it can withstand mm -hmm. different perspectives yeah. because. It's art. It's, yeah. You can view it. Exactly. Yeah. And last year's episode on the history of horror we quoted George Romero in the documentary Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue. He says, Why do you do horror? Well, you do it to upset the uppercut. But in the end, it kind of gets set back up again. We kill the monster. And I didn't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of also gives you that, that question of who really is the monster. Mm-hmm. You know? In this movie, they're escaping the threat of zombies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the zombies aren't evil. No. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. You know, and and that's the thing. Like, the zombies aren't evil, but mm -hmm. they, are, they are the conflict. <laughs> they are the problem right. that they're trying to solve. Right. And at the end of the movie, you have the introduction of other people mm -hmm. who are so callous and cold who yep. don't you know you see them walk among bodies of characters that we got to know mm -hmm. that we liked mm -hmm. over the course of the movie and saying awful things very just cold unfeeling mm -hmm. things yeah and just i mean they shoot him because they don't care yeah right they don't care to check they mm -hmm. don't care nope they're just they're there to kill zombies and they're like ah eh, and they just do it. Yep, probably I see one. movement. Yeah. It's yeah. probably one. Yeah. I mean, he. You could, it, it, yeah, you're right. The, the thing. <laughs> what would he have done beyond that? Is run out the door and say, "Hey, don't shoot me." Yeah. Yeah. But like, would they have just like freaked out and shot him anyway? Like, yeah. At yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. Sure. Night of the Living Dead is a classic, but how exactly did it create the modern zombie? Well, the film was originally called Night of the Flesh Eaters, but that title was too similar to a film that already existed. The name was changed last minute, but for some reason the copyright had been left off the final print. Because of this, the film immediately entered the public domain, and Romero and Russo's version of Zombies was up for grabs for any other filmmakers to use. So, modern cinema got very familiar with the concept of slow-moving zombies that could turn humans with just one bite. That's, that's a bummer, because that yeah. means he didn't really make much. So let's talk a little bit about the movie because Adam just watched it for the first time. Yeah. yeah. Had, you, had you guys seen it before? No, no. actually. I no. knew what I had seen the end of it mm -hmm. and I knew everything else yeah. about it, but I had not watched it all the way through. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Yeah. Um. So, as the <laughs> as the guy who doesn't like horror, yeah. in, amongst the group, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. I didn't have fun. Okay. Okay. But I think that's because it's a good horror movie. <laughs> yeah. It made me feel super uneasy like the whole time. Yeah. And I didn't have fun with that feeling. Yeah. But props to it making me feel that way because mm-hmm. I think it was I think it was intentional. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a horror movie. It's meant to be scary. It's mm-hmm. making it's not supposed to feel like a good time. Yeah. So it's pretty high on your scare meter, huh? So well, here the difference is. Okay. I'm not like reeling after it, like, okay. oh, I'm scared zombies are mm-hmm. around now. I'm gonna have nightmares about okay. zombies. But in the moment, I was just not comfortable. Mm-hmm. So more I don't, psychological. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know if I w- if that gives it more points on the scare meter mm-hmm. because I'm not sitting there waiting to be scared. I'm just yeah. like, oh. I hate all of it. <laughs> Everyone's so horrible to each other and the zombies are just there and it's, yeah. oh, it's gruesome yeah. and awful, right? So I don't know where to put it on my scare meter, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, if you like horror, it's a staple of horror, yeah. obviously. Yeah. I mean, we've just talked about that. And horror fans are going to like it, probably have already watched it. Yeah. But for me, man, oh, I don't know. I felt it just made me feel uneasy the whole time. A bit much. Huh? I, mm-hmm. I think it's a movie that you have to sit with. You know, I think yeah. you watch it and you know you might not enjoy it as much while you're watching it or, mm-hmm. you know, the first time you watch it. But I think it's one of those that you when you watch it again, yeah. you can really yeah. appreciate some of the things in mm-hmm. it. You know, mm-hmm. the lines, the imagery. Right. The symbolism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to make it sound like I hated it. Like, I don't <laughs> think it was a bad movie at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. it was a very good movie. But for me personally, I was like, mm, I might not watch this again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that if you did watch it again, mm-hmm. you'd have more fun the second time. Yeah, it's true. Because the uneasiness really kind of is mostly a first time watch. Yeah, that's thing. true. Yeah. I had no idea what was going to happen. Yeah. So the thing that I loved about it, you know, I loved, I loved it. And the reason I loved it was because it was cool to yep. see what zombies were like before zombies true. existed. Yes. That's, that's true. That, mm-hmm. was, that was cool, right? They, they don't have all the information. These characters don't know <laughs> these guessing. things. I liked the subtle hint of nuclear fear, of radiation yes. fear. I loved mm-hmm. that. Yeah. When they were like, oh, it's probably from radiation. And I'm like, okay, that's an interesting reason for them to be zombies. On TV, the reporters were chasing after the scientists who was also, they were like a a general or something. And the general was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, Cannot confirm or deny anything. There's no confirmation (laughs) about what you're saying. And the scientists are like, yeah, it's it's related to the radiation. Yeah. He's like, well, we didn't conclude that. Yes. And there's a a level of realism Mm -hmm. to that. Mm -hmm. You know, they have this grueling night. And at the end of the movie, it's just like, it's all erased. It's all gone. It's all gone. None of it matters. Mm -hmm. Because they all died. No one is there to tell that story. Yeah. And it's just like, damn. (sighs) Damn. How often do things like this happen? You know, not in the zombie sense. Just in, you know. In general. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, having the people show up to save the day only to 
just wreak more havoc and mm-hmm. make it and you know be the monsters yeah. you know right it really you know i i just that's so fascinating and such a interesting message mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just like because you know you watch the movie and you think the goal as the viewer is for survival yeah you think the goal is to survive mm-hmm. but really the movie's goal is to like upset the uppercut yeah exactly <laughs> i think it really did i yeah. think i think it absolutely is a great horror movie mm-hmm. it's classic mm-hmm. it deserves all the praise it gets but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I, I like I said, I I didn't not like it, but I'm just not into horror. Yeah. So I didn't. I love you know, the, I love the main character. I don't want people to hate me over yeah. it. You know, he that is the guy that yeah. you want around yes. when this kind of stuff mm-hmm. happens. You know, mm-hmm. and he I, figures things out yes. pretty quickly. He mm-hmm. so smart and so calm. Yeah, that's my favorite part about mm-hmm. him. You know, he just walks out into the horde with his mm-hmm. with his flaming mm-hmm. chair leg. So. Yeah, I know you're afraid of fire. That works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. He, he's a great character. And it's obviously real sad at the end, mm-hmm. but like yeah. all of the characters play off each other in a way that works towards me feeling so uneasy and yeah. like, what's yep. wrong with these people? Yeah. Like, calm down, you know? The, the girl from the beginning, <laughs> yes. she's basically nothing the whole time because she's just like- She's in shock. In shock. Yeah, Barbara's- The like entire like time. Catatonic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the other, the others, Harry, yeah. is just the worst yep. human yep. alive. And the two like teenagers or the young adult yeah, couple, Tom and- they were like- yeah. They were like helping, <laughs> you know, they were right. trying. They were trying. Just that part with the couple and, you know, they, they obviously, that's the part, that's the part where we really see zombies eating people. That's, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. That's the, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what an unsettling, that's an unsettling scene because there's yeah. one of them, this one guy who just looks so happy. Mm-hmm. You guys know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? There's a zombie. He's eating. He's just chomping away. Yeah. I think so. As, he if, like it's smiles. A bar- as yes. if it's a barbecue. Yeah, he smiles. He's looking up. He's like happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, later on at the end, you mm-hmm. know, I liked those characters. I didn't want yeah. them to die. And no. later on at the end, military guys walk by it and they just go, looks like somebody had a barbecue. I mean, uh, what a horrible thing to right. say, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's just an, it, I really, I, I really enjoy it. <laughs> the levels. I, yeah. <sighs> it was a really fascinating movie. Yeah. All right, next up, we have Martin from 1977. This is one Adam will definitely like. Yes, Adam. You know what? Let me read the synopsis for you, and you'll be in. You know, I just know it. Guys. Martin is about a young man that has a dark secret. He maintains that he is an 84-year-old vampire. He watches women closely, and in order to quench his vampire desires, he sedates, rapes, and kills the women using a razor blade to slit their wrists and drink their blood. Oh, boy. (laughs) All right. Romero wrote and directed this movie, and it was his fifth feature film. Yeah, this is several years after Night of the Living. Yeah. But we wanted to pick this one because it seemed like it came up a lot. A lot of people really liked this movie. I do think it's a a fascinating concept because Mm -hmm. it's like, is he a vampire? Yeah, it, you, you kind of get this question. Right. Yeah. You know? It, you know, it's like that's his justification for the horrific things he's doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because in all of these serial killer stories, movies, or even real life, mm-hmm. 
they always have that something. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like they have a breaking point right. one, one moment or they have some kind of justification because in their mind, what they're doing isn't wrong. Yeah. So mm-hmm. why did they think that? Yeah. yeah. In this case, yep. he's a vampire. Well, he has to do that. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is this is one of those walking that line yeah. of who's the monster here? Is this just like mm-hmm. a person being horrible? Yeah. Or is it or... a monster that can't help it? Slashfilm.com talked about how Romero once again changed a genre. When he made the vampire a human, it changed how we view the monster. They said, A vampire is no longer just a monster to be feared. Rather, it can be anyone looking to overpower and dominate others. No thirst for blood actually necessary. Nice. Interesting. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. It makes the monster more terrifying. It does. But... Martin has no supernatural powers. The only power he has is that over his victims when he drugs, rapes, and kills them. People think I'm crazy when I tell them how old I am. I'd like to be normal. I just have a sickness. The only way I can survive is by drinking blood. The film is now often talked of as an underrated film that deserves a viewing. Comments on the trailers show that many people see it as their favorite Romero film, and sites say that it was also a favorite of his. Some now see the character Martin as an original incel. If you don't know what an incel is, Merriam-Webster defines incel as a person, usually a man, who regards himself or herself as being involuntarily celibate, and typically expresses extreme resentment and hostility toward those who are sexually active. Martin exhibits this mentality through his social awkwardness all the way to his belief that he is owed blood and more. Oh, I mean, I understand that it can be difficult to find a date, but like (laughs) involuntarily celibate, like calm down. You don't need to like attack people because of it. Yeah. Oh, man. That's wild. Yeah. Basically, they're owed something. Right. Yeah. And that's, Mm -hmm. yeah. Just like Martin is owed Mm -hmm. his vampire desires. Whatever, dude. He ain't a vampire. (laughs) I'm sure a wooden stake would still kill him, though. Yeah, sure it (laughs) would. That's true. The next movie on our list is Dawn of the Dead. Yes. (laughs) Robin is super excited for this one. I love this movie. Yeah. As zombies increase in numbers during an epidemic, four people Two SWAT members and a couple escape to an abandoned shopping mall in order to make their stand and try to survive. This mm-hmm. is like the zombie movie. Yeah. Even though mm-hmm. Night of the Living Dead mm-hmm. came first and that was the thing that, you know, made zombies a thing. This is this yeah. is where they called it a zombie. They mm-hmm. defined more about yeah, yeah. what a zombie is. Right. If Night of the Living Dead defined the zombie mm-hmm. dawn of the dead defined the zombie movie mm. yeah you yes. know what i mean because yeah. night of the living dead has some of that stuff in it mm-hmm. because there are zombies in it or yeah. what we just what we now call zombies yeah but dawn of the dead filled in the rest of the blanks <laughs> yeah. right yeah <laughs> so so many zombie movies beyond this you know take so much influence from dawn mm-hmm. of the dead in roger ebert's review He talks of how brilliantly Romero blended the satire, gore, and humor, saying, But even so, you may be asking, how can I defend this depraved trash? I do not defend it. I praise it. And it is not depraved, although some reviews have seen it that way. 
it is about depravity. Dude, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely what it's about. It's amazing. Like, the metaphors are really strong. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's in, This one's in color, you know, so yep. it's not in black and white. And it the the color the blood is this bright red <laughs> paint stage blood yeah you know and the zombies are legit people with just gray faces like they you can right, see the right. gray and you know what I mean like yeah. it's it's a little bit campier mm-hmm. but it has that same feel that same uneasiness you know you've got characters instead of just one character who kind of knows what's going on and is getting shit done you have two. You know, in this one, you know, and and then you have the new placement of instead of being bombarded in a farmhouse, we are in a place that is gigantic. Yeah. uh, A mall. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of seeing how the zombies, they even say, even though they're undead, they're flocking to the mall because it's something they remember (laughs) from their lives. It was, quote, an important place to them. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Yeah. 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 Back when malls were still important. Yeah. yeah. Back in 1978, <laughs> when malls were still important. Man. Now everyone would fly. Everyone, all the zombies would now be at home on Amazon.com. Yeah. Yep. Wow. <laughs> what an interesting movie that would be. The zombie apocalypse happens, but nobody knows because all those zombies are staying home. Yeah, everyone's at home hanging out. Wow. That'd be watching weird. Watching Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In the office for the yeah. 40th time. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it struck audiences with a realistic approach to an apocalypse with new broadcasts relaying misinformation while crew members leave and openly question the facts being presented by experts on air. I felt it. You mm-hmm. watch it, it feels like now. Mm-hmm. You yeah. see experts arguing, we're in the midst of a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Like, the zombies are here. It's yeah. already happening. Mm-hmm. They're already walking the streets. They're People everywhere. are already being mm-hmm. eaten alive. It is currently going on, and they are just living with it and mm-hmm. just dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And they're on the air arguing with each other about <laughs> it. And it's like the absurdity, but the realism. Yeah. Like, that's probably, that mm-hmm. would really happen. Yeah. yeah. It was a bold statement of consumerism and how people are zombies when it comes to their mindless obsession with objects. I feel personally attacked by that. <laughs> The main characters, as the world is falling apart around them, use fancy clothes, food, and objects as distractions. The survivors become consumers. Yeah, it's, you know, you see these post-apocalyptic things, stores filled with stuff, mm-hmm. and, you know, and it's like, oh, I can have that now. Yeah. Right, right. That my, I, nobody's stopping me from taking it. Yeah. Yep. Feel like I would try to take useful things, like right. go oh, yeah. go to the hunting shop, <laughs> you know, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with like money, right? Mm-hmm. In all of these stories, zombie movies, video games, all the stuff. Whenever the apocalypse has happened and they're in it, currency is always something other than money. Yeah, because that because money doesn't mean anything anymore because mm-hmm. you can't buy unimportant crap with money anymore, mm-hmm. right? It's always like, you know, they say that like chocolate or sweets would become really valuable in an apocalypse because they'd be so rare, right? That kind mm. of stuff. So it's it, it's so funny that in a mall where there's everything you could want, <laughs> still doesn't yeah. matter, yeah. you know? A famous line is said toward the end, when there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. They don't know why they just remember Remember 
if they want to be in here. What the hell are they? They're us, that's all. There's no more room in hell. In order to keep his film vision intact, he released the film as unrated instead of bowing down to the Motion Picture Association of America. Hell yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Despite there not being an MPAA rating, it was still Romero's most profitable film. Yeah, so mm-hmm. look back in time at our MPAA episode. Yeah. You know, when your movie doesn't have a rating on it, there's a likelihood that you will not make nearly as much money because a lot of theaters won't show a movie without an MPAA rating. Mm-hmm. One, I wonder how much it would have made had it gotten a rating. Yeah. Like oh, how God. much more. Mm-hmm. I know. And two, what would it have been rated? Probably R, right? R. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think he would have had to really cut it down to make it like... PG. Or- yeah. The next one is Creep Show. This is one of the this is one of those campier ones. This yes. is, we're stepping away from zombies again. Creep Show is a collection of five short stories that combine the macabre with humor. It pays homage to the style of 1950s comic books. It features monsters, boogeymen, a visitor from outer space, bugs, and a corpse that came back for cake. <laughs> <laughs> the five tales are Father's Day, The Lonesome Death of Geordie Verrill, Something to Tide You Over, The Crate, and They're Creeping Up on You. I love the combination of horror and comedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such an interesting com- It's such an interesting concept because horror, it's so easy to just accidentally go too far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's comedy. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like you're yeah. always a, just only a couple steps away. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, it's really, you know, you're kind of walking a tightrope. And, you know, so they really go together really well. Yeah. It's just that moment it becomes too unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Creepshow paved the way for horror on television, such as Tales from the Dark Side by Romero and Richard P. Rubenstein, and who who also produced Dawn of the Dead, Monsters by Rubenstein in 1988, Tales from the Crypt, and several others. Creepshow was the very first George Romero-Stephen King collaboration and the beginning of a long professional and personal relationship between the two men. Romero also adapted another Stephen King novel to film a few years later called The Dark Half. Stephen King and George Romero. Can you imagine a better team? Nope. (laughs) Not really. Not really. Stephen King has a a weirdness to his stories, right? Yeah. There's always a part in a Stephen King novel Mm -hmm. or a Stephen King movie (laughs) where it goes a little too weird. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm talking about? I don't think it's too weird. But like some people might. Mm -hmm. Odd oddities. Just little strange things just mixed in. You know, it's spooky, (laughs) but also like. What if a zombie like just wanted some cake? Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. I've had too many brains. Yeah, I didn't cake. Who, yeah, to judge, you know? yeah, I miss sugar, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, next we have Tales from the Dark Side. In Tales from the Dark Side, they aired episodes that dealt with science fiction, horror, the occult, and more. At the end of each episode, there would be a twist or a moral for the viewer to take in, similar to one of its predecessors, The Twilight Zone with a much creepier vibe. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> a Twilight Zone, but scarier. But scarier. As if it wasn't already. <laughs> it, of course, followed the success of Creepshow. For many horror anthology fans, this is the first series that they remember growing up with. It continued to pave the way for more horror anthology series. Even ones like Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps. Hell yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Next, we have the movie Monkey Shines. 
This film was written and directed by Romero and exemplifies his creativity within the horror genre. This one's a fun one. It is, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. It, it's very interesting. So uh, for any of you that do not know this, what it's about, it is based on a novel by Michael Stewart. And the film centers around Alan Mann, who is a recent quadriplegic, who has lost his former life as an athlete and law student. As he becomes quite depressed, a friend and scientist, Jeffrey Fisher, gifts him with a monkey. The monkey is meant to help him. But what Jeffrey does not tell Alan is that he has been injecting the monkey, Ella, with a serum containing human brain tissue. As Alan and Ella form a bond, it turns into a telepathic connection that leads Ella to act out harmful actions towards those that have wronged Alan or those that Ella has become jealous of. Yeah. Strange. Yes. What a weird idea, and I love it. <laughs> That's such an interesting it's, concept. Yeah, it's wild. Just on the surface, without knowing anything else or having seen this movie, mm -hmm. obviously, it makes me think of just how many more weird scripts yeah. are out there that just are sitting, you know what I mean? How much more weird can it be? Because if somebody comes up with an idea like this, I mean, everything's on the table, right? <laughs> everything is possible. Once again, Romero experimented with discussions of the human condition through horror. It has been seen as an experiment in fear and is an exploration into the basic animalistic impulses that are within humans. The monkey acts out the hostilities that Alan would normally suppress. The film was also his first foray out of the independent film world. It inspired television episodes such as Girly Edition on The Simpsons, where Homer gets a helper monkey, and the episode Monkey on Malcolm in the Middle. Oh my gosh. <laughs> for the movie Monkey Shines, they had to wait for the monkey to be in heat, so it would respond well and positively to the actor. The main actor had to be the first male that the monkey saw that day. These were the days when the monkey was the most affectionate and conveyed a strong bond. How bizarre. That's so weird. It had to be in heat. God, yeah. that's weird. That's so bizarre. <laughs> Romero went on to finish his Dead series over the course of his career with Day of the Dead from 1985, Land of the Dead from 2005, Diary of the Dead from 2007. With each film, Romero would adapt and incorporate new styles. For Diary of the Dead, he used the found footage style of filmmaking, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then Survival of the Dead in 2009. This was Romero's last zombie film. He declared after Zombieland that he was done with the subgenre because that was now a major blockbuster kind of film. Yeah. Mm. He wasn't a, like a huge fan of Zombieland, I don't no. think. Yeah. And I totally understand why. Yeah. He was like, oh, this belongs to Hollywood now. Yeah. It doesn't belong to me anymore. Yeah. It's no longer the independent filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The comedic stylings are, are just a bit different. You know, mm -hmm. the more satire that that George Romero shows versus, I, I love Zombieland, but yeah, just the, hum the humor is just different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. George Romero's third wife, who was married to him when he passed away, began the George A. Romero Foundation. The foundation aims to keep his legacy alive and to help those who want to pursue film, especially independent film. The Pioneer Award is given every year to a deserving individual 
and scholarships and fellowships are given as well. The foundation also works to restore and preserve Romero's past work. That's pretty cool. Although you may not think of gaming immediately when you hear George Romero's name, you can't help but notice that many villains within games are zombies. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Loads of them. Yeah. <laughs> he also participated in a few projects, such as the 1998 live-action Resident Evil 2 trailer. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and he also appeared in Call of Duty Black Ops Zombies. His Dead series also was an influence for those that made the original Resident Evil. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The original Resident Evil is very Night of the Living Dead because it takes place in one building. All of it's in there. They're trapped. That whole kind of thing. It's, yeah. it's mm-hmm. very Romero-esque. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, I've never played any of those. Ooh, but, don't. No. I have watched commentary YouTube where they're, they're playing mm-hmm. the game mm-hmm. and they're talking through it. That I can take. I did watch yeah. a Resident Evil playthrough, but I could yeah. not play it myself. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll start another podcast and we'll play horror games. Oh, oh my gosh. all right. No, I'm out. <laughs> How about mystery? I, Let's I said, play Clue. <laughs> I said it, and then I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. So now we're going to talk about some of the awards that he won over the years. All right. Yeah. George Romero is the definition of cult classic. His films were hardly ever critical darlings but they made a lasting impact on the horror genre. He was responsible for delighting, inspiring, and terrifying generations of people. And that was award enough for him. Yeah. Yeah. He was not a person that set out to win awards. <laughs> no. Nope. He was like, nope, I'm going to make what feels right to me. And that's it. And there yep. it is. That's good. At the New York City Horror Film Festival in 2002, George Romero was given the Lifetime Achievement Award. He also has a plaque in the Monster Kid Hall of Fame installed in 2010. (laughs) There is also a Horror Host Hall of Fame plaque in honor of Night of the Living Dead placed in 2011. He earned the Lon Chaney Award for Excellence in Independent Horror in 2017 at the Fantastic Horror Film Festival, also known as Fantastic Fest. He has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame since 2017. And he earned many other smaller awards for individual films such as Monkey Shines and The Dark Half. Yeah. He's got nice. he's got a bunch of other awards, but they're all the tiny yeah. little independent oh. film festivals and stuff. Yeah. A bunch of them that unless you're in it, haven't heard of. Yeah. So next uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about his legacy and death. Yeah. Yeah. The kind of little bit sad part, yeah. but... Eventually, you have to, right? Yeah. In July of 2017, George Romero died after a brief but intense battle with lung cancer. Ugh. Directors, producers, writers, actors, and other members of the film community mourned the loss of this living legend. Stephen King tweeted, Sad to hear my favorite collaborator and good old friend, George Romero, has died. George... There will never be another like you. In the film Clapboard Jungle, George Romero is quoted saying, You can make a wonderful movie, and it never gets seen. This certainly appears to be true, as there are several Romero works that are essentially non-existent. The Amusement Park was a work that Romero directed in 1973 that wasn't released until after his death. Yeah. That's amazing that they were able to do that. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah. 
The amusement park was thought to be lost until it was found, restored, and released in 2019. It was not meant to be a full-on horror movie, but instead a PSA on elder abuse and ageism. It was funded by a church and a charity organization. Originally, it was meant to be on TV, but ended up not being released as it was too intense and shocking. <laughs> I mean, if you tell George yeah. Romero to make a movie that will stop people from being ageist, yeah. it's going to be pretty intense. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what do you expect? You're like, okay, the, the, the idea here is that they watch the movie and they go, ah, I'm going to be better to old people. Mm -hmm. And he's like, challenge accepted. <laughs> I got this. I'm going to make them question their whole lives. <laughs> I'm going to make them look deep within themselves yes. and realize the monsters within. Yeah. Since Romero was an independent filmmaker, the amusement park used was Westview Park in Pittsburgh, which closed within a few years after the short 50-minute film was made. <laughs> oh, man. I wonder if it would have closed faster if this movie uh, if this had been rolled. Oh, snap. <laughs> or if it would be more of the yeah. uh, place to go. <laughs> yeah. As with any piece of art, many different meanings can be gleaned from the film. The two most prominent are that the park is a visual metaphor for society, or that the park is a sort of purgatory. In it, the elderly are taken advantage of financially, denied opportunities due to age, neglected in basic medical treatments, and mocked. Even after his death, Romero surprised audiences with his unique approach to storytelling and expert use of visual metaphors. So yeah. Any final thoughts before we close out this show? Oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, I made the point that, specifically with Night of the Living Dead, mm -hmm. that as a non-horror fan, I'm not, like, loving it. <laughs> I'm not having, like, a fun time watching it. But yeah. that is to say that it's a very good horror movie. Mm -hmm. And he has a style that makes people feel uneasy and is still able to get across messages, you know, and it feels very tangible and real to people. Yeah, yeah. And like Stephen King said, there's not going to be another one like him, right? Yeah. He he revolutionized a whole genre, let alone just the subgenre of zombies. I mean, there's so much influence of him in horror in general, right? Yeah. So he's obviously made a huge impact. But boy, oh boy, I don't know how many more I'll watch. <laughs> yeah. I There's something about watching a lot of his movies in a row together. Mm -hmm. You really feel him behind the mm -hmm. lens. He has a very particular style, even though he would switch up his style and he would change yeah. things. You would still, I don't know, there was a tone. There was like this sense something that there. You, know, you really got from mm -hmm. him and the way he made his movies. And they, they just, they felt very honest mm -hmm. yeah. and visceral and just kind of perfect for a zombie movie you know yeah i think someone else could have taken this concept that he came up with and it would have been a completely different movie even if it had the same script right yeah i think if just even one other filmmaker did it instead i think it would have been a completely different movie there are a lot of scenes that feel almost like they weren't made for a movie right mm. it's so very real mm -hmm. and the way he shoots it is just like these people are arguing and that's the scene mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't feel much like a movie there were multiple scenes in 
in Night of the Living Dead where they were just kind of freaking out at each other, right? Mm -hmm. And the main character has to go like, look, just shut up for a second, will you? That is the most realistic (laughs) thing. It's not like he's got some kind of Mm one-liner to calm everyone down. It's like, you know, I can handle the thing. You know, nothing like that. It's just like, look, shut up. We're working on it. So it just feels very grounded. Yeah. You know, in such a fantastic scenario. Felt like a fly on the wall. Exactly. I felt more specifically, I felt like the cricket. The cricket. You watch this movie, (laughs) through a lot of the movie, there's no score, and it's just, you just chip, 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 chip. It's so interesting. And he was such an interesting filmmaker, and I love it. I love the stories. They're weird and different and fun. He would take a moment, he'd make longer films, but he used every second. Yeah. You know, so, you know, the movies weren't just nonstop flesh eaters. Action, 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 action. You know, there were a lot of mm-hmm. quiet moments. Yeah. In fact, there was quite a few times where they like look out and there's like three yeah. zombies just kind of huddled around yeah. the truck and they're kind of like yeah. just derping around a little bit. And then not until later do you start to see like the horde. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Where there's like easily 50 to 100 out there. Mm-hmm. And um, when they finally get into the house, right, they're banging on the cellar door. and There's so many of them packed in there. But it's there's so much where it's kind of quiet. Yeah. yeah, you know there he's like we, if it stays the way it is, we'll be okay in this house, because he can handle like one or two at a time, mm-hmm. right? So it's just unlike a lot of modern zombie takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's more just like the waiting. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is the scary part of the movie. Yeah. When we hear the name George Romero, we think of zombies, but. The Romero zombie is just one of the many contributions he made to film. He was an artist, a pacifist determined to illustrate the horrors that the human race inflicts and endures every day through entertaining visuals and fascinating storylines. George Romero was a true independent. He saw a way to make his vision a reality, and he went for it. He didn't have big budgets or high-profile connections to make his art, and he ended up creating something so fascinating so vivid and understandable to viewers that he ended up changing horror and film forever. George Romero may be gone, but his art is very much alive, ready to be devoured. (laughs) Oh, for goodness sake. (laughs) I guess that's another case closed. All right! Before we go, we'd like to thank our patrons, Joel, John, Jacob, Jacqueline, J.D., Anthony, Shelley, Linda, Bob, Carlos, and Jaren. Thank you, guys. Thank you very thank much. You. We're so happy to have you. But hey, if there's people out there listening, well, how would we make that list a little longer? Yeah, yeah. If you want an extended version of this episode, mm-hmm. we put high-res art on there. Sometimes we have Drink of the Week posts. Sometimes we have Drink yeah. of the Week videos. Mm-hmm. We are going to put more up in there soon. Yes. We, we promise. promise. We promise. We gotta we gotta film a zombie one now. We do. Oh, yeah. oh that'll be fun. Yeah, that's gonna be a good time. Yes. We'll have Adam running from us. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Adam can be a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a compliment. <laughs> you can now buy us a popcorn at buymeacoffee.com slash black case diary. And thank you all that support us, whether it be through listening, telling a friend, or donating. We love all of you. Yay. Thank you so much. How do you feel about zombies? Do you like George Romero? Do you yeah. like Dawn of the Dead? Let us know. Uh, find us on Twitter at Black Case Diary and tweet at us or send us a DM. We'll talk to you about it. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. 
check, so, check out our Etsy also. Yeah, we yeah. have an Etsy, and we also have an Instagram. Yeah, mm-hmm. where we post our art. Thank you so much, everybody. Have sweet dreams. Duh. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it! You're acting like a child! They're coming for you! Look! There comes one of them now!